This week, I jumped on the website of The Wandering Bookseller. Uh, they're an online Christian bookshop. And I had a look at their marriage section. Uh, here's some of the titles. Uh, their first book, the first book there on your left, is called Choosing Love. Uh, other books they've got have got creative titles like Marriage by Paul Tripp and Ray Ortland is equally as creative. Uh, some of the book titles are inspired by tradition, like For Richer, For Poorer, uh, taken from the Anglican Wedding Vows, or A Seal Upon the Heart, uh, which is from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, though not all the books had such rosy titles, Paul Tripp's earlier book on marriage is What Did You Expect? Or there's When Sinners Say I Do. Or more sadly, The Emotionally Destructive Relationship. There's a reason why so many books are written about marriage. Although in the fairy tales, the princess meets her prince charming, there's the wedding and then it's happily ever after. It's a nice story, but the reality is vastly different. Uh, Today we're going to hear some of Jesus' teaching about marriage. As we listen to the Lord Jesus today, we come with all sorts of experiences, feelings, expectations. Some of us are not married and we're content. For others, we're not married but we wish we were. Others may be married but wish we weren't. As we think about our parents' marriage, that may be a source of great joy and comfort or we may still carry wounds from our family of origin. For those who are married, maybe your marriage is a place of happiness and growth in Christ. But for others, it's a story of pain and grief. And that might be highlighted today, because although Jesus speaks about marriage, it's in the context of a question about divorce. What Jesus says today might be difficult to hear. You might be feeling anxious as we read that part of the Bible today, as you discovered that, oh, that's the part of the Bible we're up to today as we work our way through Mark's gospel. But let's remember who this is, who's speaking. This is the same Jesus who, when we were last in Mark's gospel, back at the end of last term, he took a little child in his arms and said, in his kingdom... When Jesus is king, welcoming little ones is really valued. This is the same Jesus who back in chapter 5 stopped and spoke to a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, spoke kindly to her, and then went and raised Jairus' precious little daughter. We might be feeling anxious, but... Remember, what have we seen of Jesus? Yes, we've seen Jesus' authority, but Jesus shows his authority in kindness and grace. 
Uh, the discussion we're about to hear happens on the road. Uh, Jesus has been in Capernaum, the home of some of his disciples, but they're on the road again. They're heading south and east across the Jordan River. And as they travel, there's not just the 12 following Jesus, but a crowd. And they're walking and talking. Jesus is teaching them. And as they're walking and talking, some Pharisees come up and ask a question. Not a real question, but a trap. Have a listen from verse 1. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Who are the Pharisees? Pharisaism was a religious movement, a movement within Judaism that was serious about living according to God's law. And as we've been following along in Mark's Gospel, we've met some Pharisees, They're not fans of Jesus. Well, it's the same with these blokes. They're asking a question, but it's not genuine. They don't really want to learn. They want to test Jesus. Uh, But this isn't like a test that you sit at school where the teacher wants to find out what you've learnt and what you still need to learn. They don't want you to fail. They just want to find out what's going on. This is not that kind of test. This is a trap. There is no right answer for this test. Now, why is this a trick question? It sounds fairly straightforward as we read it. Why is it a trick question? It's actually brilliant because it's a trap on multiple levels. On one level, it's a political trap. John the Baptist was executed because of his views on divorce. You can read about it in chapter 6. John was the forerunner of Jesus. He ended up executed because he dared tell King Herod that his marriage to his brother's ex-wife was adulterous. And here's Jesus in the same region where John was baptizing and the Pharisees ask, hey, what do you think about divorce? Maybe they're also hoping Jesus will lose his head. So on one level, it's a political trap. On a second level, it's a theological trap. What's the question? Is divorce lawful? Is it right? Is it good? If Jesus says divorce is wrong, then they'll say, hey, what about Deuteronomy 24? Uh, The Jewish law has very little to say about divorce. One place it talks about it, probably the key place it talks about it, is Deuteronomy 24. And this is what it says. It'll be up on the screen. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her uh, out of from his house and after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house or if he dies then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the law. Sorry, the eyes of the Lord. And now this law talks about a very particular situation, marriage, divorce, marriage, then divorce or widowhood, and then finally 
marrying the first husband again. We're not going to go into the details. The important bit for us is this law mentions divorce. Uh, The practice of divorce assumed in this law is a husband can divorce his wife if she's displeasing, if she's indecent. And the process for divorce is he has to give her a statement in writing. Now, this process may not sound super fair. Uh, It sounds open, rife for abuse. But there is a small kindness to the wife here. The husband can't just kick her out. If that happened, a husband sends his wife away without divorcing her and then she goes and finds support and care and marries someone else, well, under Jewish law, without a formal divorce, that would be deemed adultery, cheating, and there's serious ramifications for that. At least in this process, there's clarity. At least she's got a piece of paper, which means she's able to legally marry again. You can see that in verse 2. However, it is a very small kindness, at least in the way it was put into practice. Uh, The Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote not only a history of the Jewish people, but the history of his own life. He's obviously a very humble man. As he tells the story of his life, he mentions he got divorced twice. He doesn't say much about his first wife, but this is how he talks about his second about which time I divorced my wife also, as not pleased with her behaviour. Ouch, isn't that cold and heartless? I didn't like something she did, so I got rid of my wife, the mother of my children. And Josephus sees this as being completely justified by God's law. This is how he paraphrases Deuteronomy 24. He wrote, He that desires to be divorced from his wife for any cause whatsoever, and many such causes happen among men. And then he goes on, needs to put something in writing and sends her away. That's how this law was understood by many. uh, And we're going to hear, though, what Jesus says in a moment. But that's the first trap. Remember, the Pharisees come with their question, their trap. They think, well, if Jesus says no divorce, well, hang on. Deuteronomy 24 says you can. But if, on the other hand, Jesus says, yeah, divorce is fine, then people would say, well, don't you care about the sanctity of marriage? Do you disagree with John the Baptist? Don't you think he was a prophet? Do you see the bind they've put Jesus in? Now, why have I spent this time pointing out the question's a trap? It's because this is the context of what Jesus says. Mark 10 isn't simply Jesus teaching about marriage or divorce. It's how he responds to a trick question a question these Pharisees thought that there's no right answer to. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. Instead, he he answers the question with another question. Verse 3, What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. He gets the Pharisees to show their cards. When they think about marriage and divorce, the first place they go is Deuteronomy 24. But even then, they don't actually quote it. Did you notice, in their answer, there's no mention of indecency. It's just whatever a man wants. But not only do they not get what Moses says, by going first up to Deuteronomy 24, they show that when they think about obeying God, they've got 
Sorry, they think they show how they think about obeying God. They've got a really shallow understanding of the first five books of the Bible. All of them were called the books of Moses, the books of the law, but there is so much in them than just rules and regulations. And so Jesus responds, look, Deuteronomy 24 isn't the place to find what God thinks about marriage. It's a concession. To find God's vision, God's heart for marriage, you've got to look elsewhere. Verse 5, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this Lord, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When the Pharisees read the Bible, their question is, what are my rights? What are my rights under the law? Jesus reads the Bible and asks, what kind of person does God want me to be? What are my rights? What are my freedoms? What does, who does God want me to be? The law of Moses allowed for divorce not because it's good, but because we live in a broken and sinful world and sometimes divorce ends a marriage. A divorce may be inevitable or even necessary, but it's never good. It's the devastating outcome of a series of sinful decisions, attitudes and behaviours. That's not God's vision for marriage. God's vision is shown in what he's revealed in creation. In the accounts of Genesis 1 and 2, Jesus pulls two sentences from those foundational chapters and says God's vision for marriage is one man, one woman, to the exclusion of all others for life. In God's original picture for marriage, the question isn't whether or not divorce is lawful. It's not even part of the picture. Now, you might be thinking, it's all right for Jesus to talk about marriage like this, but what's he know? He never got married. He doesn't know what it's like to be married to someone like my spouse. But Jesus knows. In fact, he knows more than we might imagine. Marriage is described in this way in the Bible, one flesh for life, not mainly to show us what marriage should be like but to show us what God is like, what God's relationship with his people is like. In the Old Testament, God uses marriage to describe his relationship with his people Israel. Isaiah 54, God is Israel's husband. And the life of the prophet Hosea, it is a graphic read, but Hosea's painful marriage is a picture of the marriage between God and Israel unfaithful Israel. And this is picked up again in the New Testament. Ephesians 5 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Jesus knows marriage because 
Our human marriages point to the union of Christ and his people, Christ and his church. And especially in the Old Testament, the picture of marriage shows God knows the pain of unfaithfulness and betrayal. God knows what it's like. Yet his heart is not hardened. Jesus is the one we need to hear about faithfulness in marriage. What God has joined together, let no one separate, because as God the Son, he knows it. But back to Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus has masterfully evaded the trap. He knows the vision for marriage, one flesh for life, but he also knows we live on this side of Genesis 3, where hearts are hardened by sin and all the pain that entails. He's shown the Pharisees hard hearts. They read the Bible looking for their rights. What am I allowed to do? Instead of asking, Who has God made me to be? How should I live before God? And this is the question for us too. We need to hear this. Do you approach the Christian life asking, what am I allowed to do? What are my rights? Or do you ask, who has God called me to be? That question changes everything. However, the disciples still don't understand. And so later when they're alone, they ask Jesus, they ask him to explain what this means for marriage and divorce. This time it's not a trap. This is an opportunity for Jesus to get to the heart of the issue. Verse 10. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. When Jesus has the opportunity to speak freely, when he gets to the heart of the matter, what does he say? Divorcing to marry another is adultery. It's unfaithfulness. It's sin. Now, Christians debate exactly what scenario Jesus is describing in these verses. Uh, This week, I read articles written by successive principals of the theological college I studied at. They're both men who believe the Bible, and they came to different conclusions. Uh, Some people think Jesus here is saying, if you've been divorced, or at least if you've initiated the divorce, No matter what the cause, no matter the causes, no matter how much time has passed, marrying another person is never an option because marrying anyone else, whilst the person you were formerly married to is still alive, is adulterous. It's sin. Uh, Many people understand this to be Jesus' teaching. Uh, I'm not convinced, uh, partly because of the words of Mark 10, 11 to 12, uh, mainly because of 1 Corinthians 7, and there's also some questions raised by Deuteronomy 24. I think the Bible says, and it's the same as chapter 24 of the Westminster Confession, our church's doctrinal position, written back in 1646, if a marriage has ended in divorce and sometime later you find yourself in a situation to marry someone else, then that marriage is not what Jesus is calling adultery. 
Now, marrying after divorce needs loads of godly support and wise counsel. There's a whole lot of complexity and baggage to work through. And some, maybe many situations, it may not be the wise or godly thing to do. But I don't think that's the situation Jesus is calling adultery. Jesus is saying, if you think you can get around faithfulness to your spouse, faithfulness to the promises you made, if you think you can divorce your spouse simply because you see someone who looks a bit better, if you think that by divorcing you can get around your promises that Deuteronomy 24 is a lovely loophole for you, well, you haven't understood one flesh. Genesis 2. Anita and I have just watched season four of The Crown. It follows the British monarchy through the 1980s. A big part of the story is the marriage of Charles and Diana. Now, it's a drama. I don't know how close it is to reality. I haven't studied hard all the Women's Day magazines that would tell me the whole truth. But the way they tell the story, Charles and Diana's divorce is the exact scenario Jesus is talking about. The way they tell the story, the Prince of Wales deliberately white-ants his marriage, making life impossible for his wife. He's cheating the whole way through. Their divorce is the finale of years of adultery. And even a Netflix drama shows how horrible and unacceptable that behaviour is. The scriptwriters don't paint Diana as faultless but they're clearly sympathetic of her situation. Divorce to marry another is adultery. Jesus is looking for wholehearted disciples, not people finding loopholes in the law, not people who ask, what are my rights? What can I get away with? But people who desire to be who God has created and called them to be. So what is Jesus saying to us? What's he saying to you if you're married? You might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not divorced. Well done, me. Feeling smug, maybe even judgmental of others. But if you've got a marriage certificate on your wall, but the relationship in your marriage is cold, bitterness, Resentment and distrust have gone to seed. That is not God's vision for your marriage. That's not Genesis 2, one flesh. That's not Ephesians 5, picturing Christ's self-giving love for his church. And if that's you, Jesus is calling you to repentance before God and your spouse. Jesus shows us who God is calling us to be in marriage. And as a church, we're called to support each other in this. It's no surprise marriage isn't easy. Although the unity and togetherness of one flesh brings great joy, it also brings griefs and sadness. Happily ever after is for the fairy tales. Real life, it's what did you expect? Two sinners coming together, each with their own failings and wounds, selfishness and pride. It's no surprise in a Genesis 3 world that marriages don't look like Genesis 2. So in our church, it should be no surprise people are finding it hard in their marriage. 
And why am I pointing this out? Why am I saying this? Because too many times couples have kept the difficulties in their marriage to themselves and no one knows, no one realises until it gets to the point of no return. One of the helps God has given us is each other. Who could you talk to here at church and be honest about how things are going? Who can you be transparent with? Now hear me clearly, I'm not saying transparency, whinge and complain about them, about your spouse. That's not going to help you or them. But will you be transparent about how you're going? Sharing with someone who will bring God's word to bear to rebuke and encourage you to be the person God's called you to be in marriage. And this applies whether you're married or not. What I'm getting at is being a community where we encourage each other to be the people God calls us to be. Being a church where our lives and life together is shaped by knowing God in the gospel where we encourage each other in that whatever life situation we're in. And finally, a word to those who've been divorced. Maybe that's due to your own hard heart or the hard heart of your former spouse or a bit of both. The heart of Jesus' message is repent and believe the good news. Jesus came to win and bring God's forgiveness. In Jesus' kingdom, he welcomes the little child. In John's Gospel, we hear a time Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, a woman who's been subject to divorce five times. Whether that's due to her sin or the sin of her husband's, we're not told. But we are told Jesus offers her living water, new life with him. And she finds joy and life in Jesus. No matter how you failed and sinned in your marriage or in other relationships, no matter how you've been sinned against, Jesus holds out the same welcome for you. What Jesus says about marriage and divorce is hard and beautiful. It's hard because we've all fallen short of God's vision for marriage. We've failed to live out our one flesh union, but it's beautiful because the faithfulness and one flesh lifelong marriage is a picture of God's eternity long faithfulness to those who are in Christ. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to your people. We know without your faithfulness we'd be lost and without hope. We thank you for the kindness and grace you've shown in Jesus. As we reflect on ways we've failed to live up to your vision for life and relationships, marriage, we come to you knowing you forgive all who truly and humbly repent. We pray for those who've been sinned against in marriage. Please pour out comfort 
and wholeness. We ask you to be strengthening us to be living out our situations in life with contentment and faithfulness. May we live as the people you've called us to be. Please be growing us that we would look for encouragement and help from one another. Make us a community that values transparency, where we can be open and safe with our struggles and find wisdom and encouragement to live for you. All these things we pray that Jesus would be glorified in our lives. Amen.